welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 6th of February 2011, entitled Living a Life of Grace and Joy, Part 1. And the Bible reading is taken from Matthew, Chapter 9, Verses 1-17. to Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. If you'd like to be opening your Bibles to Matthew, Chapter 9, we're going to begin our reading there this morning. We're going to begin reading in verse 1, reading down through verse 17. I invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word, beginning in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 1. And he entered into a ship and passed over and came into his own city. Behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. Behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemeth. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? For whether it is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, then saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go unto thine house. And he arose and departed to his house. But when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, which had given such power unto men. And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. He saith unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. It came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Then came to him the disciples of John, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast oft, but thy disciples fast not? And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, and then shall they fast. No man putteth a piece of new cloth into an old garment, for that which is put in it will fill it up, take, I'm sorry, that which is put in to fill it up taketh from the garment, and the rent is made worse. Neither do men put new wine into old bottles, else the bottles break. The wine runneth out, and the bottles perish. But they put new wine into new bottles, and both are preserved. Father, we thank you again for for this time to look into your word. Father, our dependence is totally and completely upon you. Would you see fit to anoint thy unworthy servant? Would you speak to our hearts? Lord, would you give us that which we need today? And Lord, may our hearts truly be open to you. May we block out and forget anything else that might be a distraction. 
that you might have the rightful way that you would have in our hearts this day. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. I'd like to speak to you, God willing, this morning on a simple thought. Actually, this morning and this evening from two different perspectives, two different portions of this scripture. But living a life of grace and joy. You see, so many times we think about God's wonderful, amazing grace that we, that we sing about that reached down and saved us one day. But so many times in the day-to-day living, it's easy for us to forget that it wasn't just God's grace that saved us, but it's that same grace that we stand in today. God's grace is still there for us in every situation. So many times, to different degrees, you recall that David, David knew that he had salvation. David knew that he had this relationship with God, but he also knew that some things had happened and come into his life that had taken away the joy of that salvation. There came the point when he just had to humble himself and cry out to the Lord, Lord, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. The truth is, there's all kinds of things that happen in life that can make us happy or can make us sad. These things come and these things go. But today as Christians, because of the grace wherein we stand, we ought to be a joyful people. Matter of fact, the Bible says to us, rejoice. And again, I say, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. I'd like to read you a couple of passages, kind of set the stage for what we want to, I believe that what we have just read here in Matthew chapter 9 is a great illustration of a truth that is given to us that is laid down throughout the Word of God. In Romans chapter 5, we find that beginning in verse 1, the Word of God says for us, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into His grace, notice the next word, wherein we stand. And what's the next? And rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, listen, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet, peradventure, for a good man, some would even dare to die. 
but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. We find that even when our Lord Jesus Christ first entered and came into this world, the Gospel of John chapter 1 tells us in verse 14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then if you look down just a couple of verses in verse 16 and 17, and of his fullness have all we received from grace and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Jesus entered this world. And he was grace and truth. But the Bible says that that fullness have we all received. From grace to grace. We find that if you turn over into the book of Acts chapter 4, of course in the early church, we find that what this grace and joy was doing in the early church in Acts chapter 4. Notice first of all in verse 32 and 33. The Bible says, and the multitude, this is the church at Jerusalem, and the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. Listen, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon who? Them all. Great grace was upon them all. Just a few chapters over in chapter 11 of the book of Acts. And of course, as we look here in Acts chapter 11, of course, in chapter 4, this was a young church in Jerusalem. And we find that people were being saved and the power of God was on them and that great grace was upon all of them. But notice in chapter 11, verse 19, <laughs> they didn't have easy going for long, did they? Great persecutions came upon the church. And it says in verse 19, now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Thenis and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. Some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which 
when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. And notice what he found when he got there. Who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. Grace and joy and stability all seem to go hand in hand as we look through the Word of God. Of course, the Apostle Peter was there in those days that we're reading about in, in Acts in Jerusalem. Later, when he wrote his letter in 2 Peter chapter 3, the very last verse in his letter that he wrote there, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, he left them with this thought, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Apparently, the Apostle Peter had this idea that not only are we saved by grace, that we stand in that grace. And it's that grace that's upon us, both when people are being saved by the thousands and when the church is being persecuted and, and scattered abroad, it's still God's grace that's there. And that grace is able to be seen as you look at God's people. And the, the Apostle Peter, as he ends this letter, he says that grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm saying, folks, we need God's grace. We as a church need God's grace. As individual Christians, we need God's grace in our day, and we need to know the joy of the Lord in our lives and our hearts. That same letter that, that Peter finished with that thought of growing in grace, look right back to 1 Peter chapter 1, how he began this letter. In 1 Peter chapter 1, he writes these words. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit. I want you to notice this next word that keeps coming up, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy, hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, Though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, 
might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, and whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did, did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed that an, not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look unto. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy." Now, I can assure you that you could look many, many other places in the Word of God that you'll find much written about this matter of grace and joy and rejoicing. The great preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon, in commenting on Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4, which says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Listen to what he said, and this was written in, in, in something like uh, uh, 1895, I think it was, or 85. He says, there is a marvelous medicinal power in joy. Most medicines are distasteful, but this, which is the best of all medicines, is sweet to the taste and comforting to the heart. We noticed in our reading, speaking here in Philippians, that there had been a little tiff between two sisters in the church at Philippi. I am glad that we don't, do not know what the quarrel was about. I'm usually thankful for ignorance on such subjects. But as a cure for disagreements, the apostle says, Rejoice in the Lord always. People who are very happy, especially those who are very happy in the Lord are not apt either to give offense or to take offense. Their minds are so sweetly occupied with higher things that they are not easily distracted by little troubles which naturally arise among such imperfect creatures as we are. Joy in the Lord is the cure for all discord. Should it not be so? What is this joy but the concord of the soul, the accord of the heart with the joy of heaven? Joy in the Lord, then, drives away the discords of earth. Further, brethren, notice that the apostle, after he had said, Rejoice in the Lord always, 
commanded the Philippians to be anxious, to be careful for nothing. Thus implying that joy in the Lord is one of the best preparations for the trials of this life. The cure for care is joy in the Lord. No, my brother, you will not be able to keep on with your fretfulness. No, my sister, you will not be able to weary yourself any longer with your anxieties if the Lord will but fill you with his joy. Then, being satisfied with your God, yea, more than satisfied, overflowing with delight in him, you will say to yourself, Why art thou cast down, O soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. What is there on earth that is worth fretting for even for five minutes? If one could gain an imperial crown by a day of care, it would be too great an expense for a thing which would bring more care with it. Therefore, let us be thankful. Let us be joyful in the Lord. I count it one of the wisest things that by rejoicing in the Lord, we commence our heaven here below. It is possible so to do. It's, it is profitable so to do, and we are commanded so to do. The truth is, is that everything always looks better through a smile. It's amazing. It's amazing that we don't notice the problems that seem so clear when we're disgruntled, when we've lost that joy, joy in the Lord saying as Christians, we have every reason, and that's what we want to look at this morning and this evening. We have every reason to rejoice in the Lord always because we were not only saved by his grace, but we stand in his grace, and we are sustained by his grace, and we serve him through his grace. I think it was Nehemiah. And we used to sing the song in Sunday school, the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. As we look at our passage in Matthew, I said to you that I believe that we see many of the beautiful illustrations here. How that is Christians. You see, you can. Matter of fact, you don't even have to wait till you leave here today. You can sit there right now and you can worry about all the things that happened last week and last year and 10 years ago and 20 years ago and you can worry about it and you can fret about it. You can worry about what you've got to do this week and what's ahead this week and next month and next year and the years ahead. You don't have to look far to find something that you can worry about and be anxious about if you so desire. But you have another choice. You have another choice. You can rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You can recognize and remember that you're standing in the grace that one day saved you as a child of God. 
And that that grace is sufficient for whatever, whatever in your past and whatever in your future, God's grace is sufficient. If you want to hold on to it and if you want to, to worry about it, if you want to, to fret about it and, and lose all the joy of your salvation, then you have that option. But folks, I can assure you, that's not what God wants for you. That's what, not what Jesus Christ came to bring to you today. As we look here in this passage, the passage we began with seeing Jesus perform this tremendous miracle with this one of the palsy. And after that great miracle took place, we find that he sees this one called Matthew. Matthew. And as Jesus passed from thence in verse 9, he saw a man named Matthew. Of course, it's Matthew that's writing about Matthew here. He turned to this same writing in the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Luke. He's still called Levi at this point because his name changes. Now, when he's writing back about himself, he's already Matthew. When the others are talking about him, they're talking about him as being Levi before his name later changes to Matthew, which means one that is given or a gift of God. But I like, I've underlined it in my Bible some years back. As Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man. Jesus saw him. He was the one that was sitting there. And it doesn't matter what your name might be. He saw this man that his name happened to be Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. We find that when Jesus saw him, when Jesus spoke to him, man, there were some things changed in Matthew's life. He had a job of taking, according to this, but he changed to a job of giving instead of taking. From sitting at the receipt of custom to following Jesus and giving to others. You see, I want you to notice here in verse 9, today, if you're interested, if you would like truly, now if you want to feel sorry for yourself and go ahead and worry, you have that choice. But if you'd like to truly live a life of grace and joy that the Lord has for you, then it's going to begin right here. Either at this point, this point is either the beginning point that must come in your life first or that has already taken place. That's that point of conversion in verse 9. You see, the first thing that Matthew had to be obedient in was simply to follow Christ. <laughs> he had to be obedient. When Jesus saw this man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom, and he saith unto him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. Wow. Wasn't a very long sermon, was it? <laughs> he didn't go into a whole lot of detail. This was Jesus as far as we can tell, there was only two words, two words that he needed to be spoken to Matthew from the Lord Jesus Christ. Follow me. And you see today, when the preacher gets up or when that Christian comes to you and they take their Bible or they give you that gospel track or whatever that is presenting to you, 
that gospel message, in the end, it's the Holy Spirit that you must hear not some preacher that's appealing for you or not some Christian that is appealing for you to change your life. But it's the simplicity of Jesus Christ saying, follow me, follow me. Because you see, that's what conversion is all about. That's what repentance, we, we come up with all these words, but it really is following him. Right now, we're without Christ, you're going the way of the world. But Jesus is saying, come on, turn around and follow me. Go with me. That's what he said here. And, of course, Matthew responded. The Bible simply says he arose and he followed him. He arose and he followed him. You see, every Christian must make that, that choice for themselves. Matthew did not have to follow the Lord Jesus Christ that day. He could have ignored the call of Christ on his life. He could have decided that he had more important things to do with his life. He could have decided to scratch his head and not sure if this was what he wanted to get involved in, if he wanted this or that or the other. So many times, there's so many things that we can ponder over. But the simple truth comes down, do we want to follow Christ with our life or not? Because we can follow the world. We can get bogged down in the things of the world. But if you want to live today, if you want to live a life of grace and joy, then you have that option. But if you're here and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to know that conversion is the first step. Obeying the Lord and simply following the Lord Jesus Christ. But secondly, I want you to notice that not only is conversion necessary, but notice what happens next. And I simply call that confession. Not only obedience in following Christ, but obedience in proclaiming Christ. Are we really, are we really allowing Jesus Christ to be seen in our lives? You see, notice, and if you you notice here in the Bible it says, and it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house. You know whose house that is he's sitting in now, right? Matthew's. Matter of fact, if you turn over to uh, uh, to Mark and Luke and read the same account, they make it very specific. Man, the first, thing, the first thing Matthew did after he got saved was he invited Jesus back to his house with him. And man, he had a feast. And he invited all these old lost friends that he had to come into this feast to meet this one called Jesus. And it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And the Pharisees saw it. They said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? What in the world is Jesus doing with that crowd? You see, we find that the first thing that Matthew wanted to do, his first act as a Christian was inviting his old friends to a feast for a specific purpose, folks, to meet Jesus Christ. <laughs> you see, he didn't have his friends over to continue with an old party that they hadn't finished off from before. 
He didn't invite his friends over so that he could join in with them in their worldly pleasures. He invited all of his friends in and he had a feast so that they could meet Jesus Christ, the one that he had decided to follow with his life. One preacher said, supper for a sermon. They could come along for the supper if they wanted, but they were going to get a sermon in the process, amen. The Bible says they sat at meat. Many publicans and sinners. Many publicans and sinners. He obviously must have took that pretty serious when it says that they shall not be ashamed because he had invited them all in. He knew who needed the message. He wanted his old lost friends to be his new saved friends. He wanted his old worldly friends to be his new Christian friends. You see, the thing is, you don't just stop caring about people. But when Jesus Christ comes into our life, do we want real joy in our lives? Then the first thing that we should do in standing in that grace is to share it with those around us. We should be confessing it. It was the first thing that he wanted to do is have a peace feast and, and show off Jesus and invite everybody else to meet him. Find that as they came in, some people weren't too happy about it. These Pharisees, why in the world is your master eating with people like this? Well, you know, Jesus was quite capable of speaking up for himself. But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that be whole, need not a physician, but they that are sick. They that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. You see, Jesus didn't come to help those that don't need helping. You're here today. Do you know that you have something that needs to be taken care of? Spiritual, physical, you've got that need. The Lord is here for you. That's what he came for. We find that uh, I think it was interesting that in proclaiming the Lord Jesus Christ and him saying that he came to the sick because it was the sick that needed the doctor. So many times I was thinking as I read that it's Sometimes a lot easier for us to talk to the healthy, <laughs> to talk to the ones that don't have any problems. So many times we get to think, man, I've got enough problems of my own. I've got enough things to deal with. I'm carrying enough stuff myself. I don't need somebody else's as well. But Jesus came to hurt, to help those that were hurting, the ones that needed help. That's not the easiest thing for us, but that's what we need. We need to pray that the Lord would grant us that same desire and that same compassion, that same willingness to confess him. You know, I would be ashamed if you were caught in the company of sinners taking part in their sinfulness but I'd be just as ashamed not to be caught in the company of sinners 
proclaiming the Lord Jesus Christ. Sermon probably back last year sometime. We did in a couple of parts. Jesus, a friend of sinners. That's a question. He came to help the sick, to help the ones that had a need. But you know something? We've got a nurse sitting back there. When you're dealing with people, man, I keep wanting to move out from behind. You, when you're dealing with people that are sick, you're dealing with people that have problems, you know, some things are contagious. Folks, you better recognize there is no greater sickness than sinfulness. And the simple truth is that, yes, when you're saved and you're in God's grace, yes, we need to go to them that are sick. But, yes, we need to take precautions. You know, sometimes with some sicknesses, you know, you need to put on some gloves before you go touching anything. You might need to put on a mask so that you're not breathing the wrong thing. You'll have on protective garments. I can remember that when every one of our six children were born, they made me put on these absolutely gorgeous fashion of the day, green outfits usually. <laughs> Why? Because they were disinfected. <laughs> they were a barrier between me and all my germs and that new baby. The truth is, is that we need to go to a sick world. But don't be foolish. You know, <laughs> we need to go out there. We need to show that we care does it bother you when the doctor or the nurse is attending you? They're taking precautions because they don't want to catch what you've got? I, I wouldn't think so. The world should see that we don't want their sin. And that should be clear, folks. There should never be any mistake about the fact you know, that you love them. But, boy, if this is real in your life, if you want to live, if you want to have a life of living in grace and joy, going to begin with conversion, but it's going to begin with next with confession. You're going to have to be willing to let Jesus be seen. You're going to have to show him off to the world. You know, let people know whose company you're in. We see a third thing here. Notice what he says in verse 13. He says, but go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. We found this word back when we were reading about grace in other places. We read about the grace, the saving grace that saves a soul. We read about this grace that is the grace wherein we stand, that's sufficient for the day, that gives us our power and that gives us our joy. We find that there was also this word that popped up a couple of times about obedience and conversation. And, of course, this word conversation in our Bibles isn't speaking of just the words that we speak, but our lifestyles. That which we're speaking with both the words that come out and the lives that we live. We are speaking very loudly in some way with our lives. Now, notice here that, of course, it was Jesus, after defending himself to these self-righteous Pharisees that had it all worked out for themselves, and I've got news for you, Jesus is capable of defending himself 
if you use his word. <laughs> he doesn't need you arguing for him as a person, but his defense is all right here in the precious word of God. Notice, did you ever think these words he says to them, go ye and learn. Now, I want to tell you something. <laughs> to these self-righteous Pharisees that he was talking to, that would have been pretty distasteful words. Us need to go learn something? These guys thought they had all the knowledge and all the answers, and they're trying to straighten Jesus out because they're so good at it. But Jesus gives them these simple answers. He first said to them that they that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick, you need to go and learn what that means. Wow. That's what he said to them. You need to go and learn what that means. Hosea chapter 6, verse 6 says, For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than the burnt offerings. We realize that you know, more than all that you can give and all that you can sacrifice and all of these things, what the Lord really wants is to see mercy at work in you as it was in the Lord Jesus Christ that came to help the sick, that came to help the sinners. To have mercy upon a sin-sick world is a work that's more pleasing to God than presenting him with some expensive sacrifice. To show that mercy to those that are sick and hurting means far more to him than all of the religious ceremonies and exercises that you can perform. And I'm sorry, that's not what we're here for. The problem is, and we'll look at this a bit more tonight, folks, we don't come to church to just carry out some kind of a traditional ceremony that's about some God out there somewhere. Do we want to live a life of grace and joy? <clears throat> we find that the Lord is showing us very clearly here our conversation, our words, our lifestyle, the things that we're doing. We need to be obedient in knowing Christ, in growing with Christ, in showing Christ. In all of these things, Christ needs to be seen in our lives, the things that are important to him. He said, you need to go and learn what this means. I'm saying today, do we grasp that? The hold need not a physician, but they that are sick. I will have mercy, not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Do we really grasp, does it get down inside of us what Jesus Christ came to this world for? And is that seen through our lives? You see, folks, the problem is to us so many times, our Christian life is about what took place when we asked Jesus into our lives. It's about God's grace that saved us. 
It's not about the grace that we're standing in right now. It's not about the Christ that's living in us right now. It's not about what he's doing with our lives right now. And somehow we'll sacrifice and we might, if we're lucky and nothing comes up, we might make it along to church once a week. Folks, he wants your life. He doesn't want all of your sacrificial giving. Yes, there's sacrifice in the Christian life. But it's all worthless without the heart of God. He wants you showing that mercy on those around us, on those that need help, on each other. Go and learn what this means. You know, that's the only way we're going to grow is to learn. Telling the guys this week in the class at the Bible college that... You know, it's amazing. It can seem like so much when you're trying to fit a subject into a limited 20 hours of lectures or whatever that it might be. But you know what? You haven't seen anything yet. You know, I said, it's, it's, it's been over 40 years since I preached my first sermon. <laughs> and I'm a young man. Amen. I just started as a baby. <laughs> but the thing is, is that in all those years of preaching and studying, wow, I haven't even begun. I haven't even begun. You, can, you take that same Bible that you've been reading and studying and preaching from from all those years, you take and you go back and you read that same part in the Word of God and God shows you something more that you haven't seen there before. God takes you to something else that you hadn't even noticed before in all those years of reading and study. God's Word. We find that he told them, you need to go and learn what this means. He told them exactly why he came, that they needed to know the object of that. He came not to be served by the good, but to save the evil. <laughs> we find that these Pharisees, they were very self-opinionated people. They had all their ideas. They thought they had it all figured out. The simple truth is it was some of the simplest lessons that he was trying to show them, that he was trying to get them to understand. Can you understand? He said, I came to save sinners. I came to help hurting. I came to heal the sick. I came not for the righteous, but for the sinners. I want them to know the joy of my grace. And today, as we look at our lives day by day, you see, if you're here this morning, I haven't told you some little secret recipe. I've told you that, first of all, there's a basic foundation we're going to look at some more things out of this text this evening. But the simplicity of this morning, you know, the truth is the Bible teaches us clearly. We can live a life of grace and joy. You can put those things behind you. Whatever it was, however deep that it hurts. You see, God's grace is sufficient. 
What Jesus Christ did at Calvary, it was for you. He came to help your hurt. He came to take away your sin. I don't care what it was. Read through the word of God. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether it was a simple word of disobedience or whether it was out and out murder. It takes the same thing to wipe away that sin, the blood that Jesus Christ shed upon Calvary, and unless he is insufficient, then what he did was sufficient for you. He doesn't want you to keep hurting. He doesn't want you to keep going around not knowing the joy. He wants you to rejoice always in the Lord. Today, the simple truth is the foundation of it all. That can only happen if you belong to him. <laughs> Maybe today you're here and he's saying, follow me. You'll make that choice whether to follow him or not. You know, Christians, sometimes we follow him and we, we get that forgiveness and then we just settle down, sit down along the side somewhere. Just uh, kind of viewing things as they take place. Maybe the Lord's saying to you today, come on, it's time to get up. You said one day you were going to follow me. Let's, let's go now. It's time to go. We need to be obedient. We need to be obedient. First of all, we need to obey him in following him. Next, obedience in proclaiming him. Conversion, confession. I'm not going to go into it, but if you want to live a life, grace and joy, you need to be confessing him before man. People need to see. You need to be willing, as Matthew did, to bring your friends to meet Jesus. He needs to be active. Of course, you need to obey him in conversation, in your lifestyle, the way you're living. Those are the basics. Follow him. Confess him before men and live a life that Christ can be seen in your life that will change other people's. That's what it's all about. It's not about our traditions. It's not about the way that we've always done things. It's about Jesus being real, that he came to help the hurting, that he came to save the sinner. And you're never, what we're going to look at tonight, you're never going to get to that part unless you know that in your life. Religion won't matter. But Jesus Christ will make all the difference in the world. Shelly comes to the piano. We're going to begin to sing for our closing hymn in just a moment. Great old hymn that says, Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. You see, I don't know anybody's heart here this morning, but I want to tell you this. If you're one of the hurting, if you're one of the sick, if you're one of the sinners, Jesus came for you. And today you can trust him. You can turn to him. All that he did when he died on Calvary, he did it for you. He came for you. So if you're here today and you've never
obeyed him and following him as Matthew did. May I invite you today, instead of walking out the doors and going another direction, will you follow Jesus Christ today? You've never done that. Will you do it today, Christian? Is there something in you that's hurting? Or something that's taken away your joy? You're not, you know you're not really a happy Christian. You know you're saved. You know you're on your way to heaven. And you're thankful for that and all of that. When it comes to rejoicing in the Lord always, there's something missing there. May I say today, the grace of Jesus is sufficient. Whatever it is, whatever it is, his grace is sufficient. There's only one way it can't be taken care of. He's not going to sell you short. He's there, and he's there for you today. But you can walk out of here, and you can carry that thing with you if you want to. Maybe you need to get rid of it. Maybe, maybe you need, as the psalmist did, ask the Lord to restore unto you the joy of your salvation, that you can really rejoice in being a child of God. And we're going to look at some of that rejoicing this evening, God willing. But today, you will make a choice. You will walk out of here and carry it back out with you, or you'll leave it with him. You can come and pray if you desire to as we're singing. If you'd like to pray with somebody, you know, sometimes it's such a blessing just to have somebody else. Maybe it's just to put their arm around your neck. Maybe it's just to know that they're there with you. Simple truth is, is that today we're here for you if we can help you in any way. Let's stand, let's sing together, trust and obey.